Welcome to Just Think, the podcast. The podcast where we don't want to tell you what to think. We just want to encourage you to do it. We are three friends that came from across the political spectrum who were tired of partisan politics and were alarmed at what we saw happening in our country, including the growing political divide. But we found as we challenged ourselves to recognize our own biases, to put them aside, we were absolutely united in our pursuit for the truth. And that's why we started this podcast to share the conversations we were having around that pursuit and to invite you into our conversation. To encourage you to feel free to ask questions. Search for the answers yourself to say what you think. That's right, because as we like to say, diversity of thought, ideas, and beliefs are welcome here. Asshats are not. (laughs) (laughs) All are welcome as long as you just think. Just Think, the podcast. This is Holly. And Amy. And Kristen. And we are so happy today. It is the Thanksgiving week. This is, we're recording the day after Thanksgiving, and we are so thankful for the guests that we have today. Dr. Peter McCullough, I think this is his fourth time uh, being uh, one of the guests on the podcast. He has certainly, listen, Dr. McCullough, we've had some huge names on our on our podcast, none bigger than you, but it, but I know that they will, they asked to come on our podcast now, and I know it's because we have you on, and it, you have brought great credibility to us because you are one of the central figures through the entire pandemic, one of the courageous physicians who had the courage to stick to the actual science and the evidence and to get out in front of COVID and start treating immediately. You were an early treatment proponent, which is probably what got you in trouble. You were one of the first doctors that we saw on YouTube. I will never forget where we were when the girls, Kristen and Amy, sent me your YouTube video where you walk us through methodically how when the pandemic happened, what your response and doctors in Italy and all around the globe, how you were responding together using repurposing drugs and vitamins and and coming up with basically medical cocktails to help people treat early. And you found that early treatment of COVID was key because it could keep people from hospitalization because what we found was once they were at the hospital, their chances of getting better were a lot less. And so you were, you became our hero. You got us through COVID. You got our families through COVID. You and the frontline critical care doctors, we looked to you and you gave us assurance during the pandemic that we weren't going to die of COVID, that we, that there were things that we could do to prevent it. Like in other words, being healthy, getting vitamin C, vitamin D, but also once we got, how do we handle it? And so you were a medical hero for us. And we were so thankful because we knew that if you were going to say something, and and I know our audience, guys, if you've not listened in before, go back and listen to our other episodes, but don't miss this one because this one's going to be incredibly timely and you need to know the information he's going to share with you. But Dr. McCullough, what I feel that you do so well, and I don't know how you do it, okay? (laughs) You're older than me, but you will quote the paper, who wrote it, where it was, you bring your receipts every single time. And today we know you have some information on some collusion between a PR firm and, and, and Pfizer and Moderna and the CDC. And that's what we want people to understand today is the collusion and corruption. We're getting more and more evidence of that. But before you jump right into that, I would love for you to let people know, because we know 
We saw you on Dell Big Tree this week. Shout out to Dell. Thank you, yes. Dell, for all that you do. But we saw you on Dell Big Tree this week talking about that the American Board of Internal Medicine is trying to strip you um, of your board certification. So can you get in? And guys, by the way, everything Dr. McCullough says, we've yet to find somebody come back and openly debate him or identify what he said that was not factually accurate. So has that changed, Dr. McCullough? Have they been able to say what you actually did wrong? I've never been challenged uh, by any uh, chief of medicine, chief of infectious disease, anybody who would be considered uh, one of my, um, my equal peers in this area. I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I'm a practicing internist and cardiologist and, and a clinical scholar. I've been the editor of two major journals. I have 660 plus peer-reviewed uh, papers cited in the National Library of Medicine, 60 on COVID-19 now, until the, including the two seminal papers you mentioned. And it's so much fun to be on your podcast. I've uh, decided you're the three of the cutest young mothers, uh, especially Kristen, all her gymnastics and terrific <laughs> stuff she does on Instagram. She's my favorite. She recently appeared as Miss Information. Uh, and that was absolutely um uh, wonderful. And so all those little sticky notes that uh, your kids probably put on your dress were just absolutely uh, wonderful. You know, we, we do have to have some smiles in such a grim time in America. We've never seen uh, the level of, uh, of propaganda uh, and collusion, corruption, and then censorship and reprisal. And doctors seem to be at the top of the target poll here for censorship and reprisal, because this is in the context of a medical emergency, and it's only doctors who are going to be able to stop this. Everyone knows this. The attorneys and lawmakers, they don't have the medical authority that doctors do, and I think that's the reason why we're being targeted. Mm. Me specifically, as you mentioned, I think I will likely be the first doctor in history uh, to be stripped of my medicine residency, my cardiology fellowship, my board certifications, for political reasons. Uh, I'm in my fourth decade of practice. I have a perfect track record. You know, I voluntarily recertify in internal medicine uh, and I've taken four of these exams 10 years apart, done per perfectly fine on them. Uh, three in cardiology, trained in public health at University of Michigan. Uh, you know, I, I have basically a perfect clinical and academic track record. And what happened was the American Board of Internal Medicine whose role is to be sure people complete their residencies, certify that, and then apply the, uh, the learning modules and the exams. That's their whole role. We pay them money to do that. Uh, in September of 2021, with no uh, consensus, with no voting, uh, with really no forewarning, the ABIM adopted a COVID misinformation policy. Mm. Mm. And what we learned there is that this policy said that if a doctor uh, was um, alleged to have spoken misinformation publicly, that they would uh, come under a professional review. But there was no definitions of misinformation or information. There was no discussion of how this would be uh, surveyed or determined. And, uh, uh, and, and it, was, uh, it was unclear why they picked COVID. Why not heart disease, diabetes, uh, right. cholesterol? Why COVID out of all the public health problems? So that was September of 2021. In May of 2022, I get a letter from the board saying, aha, we have alleged uh, misinformation that you've spoken 
And it turns out they went back in time to March of 2021, before they had the policy, and picked statements that I uttered at the uh, Texas Senate. And uh, you know, I had prepared statements. I answered questions of the senators. Many people know that I've testified twice in the US Senate. I co-moderated the big panel in January of 2022. We're going back to the Senate now a third time, December uh, 6th and 7th. Um, and I have multiple state Senate testimonies. I'm probably the most um, sought after uh, expert to, to give my opinion and analysis on COVID-19. So uh, you know, all my statements were factual. They were grounded in the science. The science uh, obviously changes over time and the scientific data evolved. So the American board told me in May of 2022 saying, you're gonna go under a professional review committee meeting. I asked to attend it. They said, no. I asked to dismiss this matter out of hand. They said, no. I did a multi-page response document citing every single paper as I do when I go on the news. You know, people know I'm a frequent contributor on Fox News, ABC, Newsmax, all the major stations. I did the same quality of work uh, in that response document as I do in the, in the exam room with patients. The meeting occurred. Uh, there were no transcripts, no filming of it. I got a letter in October of 2022 saying that the committee had actually uh, now recommended that the board strip me of my uh, me medicine and cardiology uh, training certificates, uh, all of them. And, uh, and, and, and then at that point in time, they produced evidence. They said, aha, we think that, uh, that risk in COVID-19 uh, stems from this statement of the CDC. And they were just picking a different part of the CDC website. They were looking at proportions of deaths and age group. I was using the case fatality ratio, which is a, the standard accepted risk uh, parameter. And uh, so if we were to summarize to date, what we have here is we have uh, a process by the American Board of Internal Medicine where uh, there's no equal protection. We don't know how they chose me and not somebody else or how they reviewed everyone. They went ex post facto in time. They actually went, applied their, their new rules to things that, that statements that occurred before I even knew the rules existed. They provided no learning modules, no guidelines, no media talking points, nothing for us to follow. They produced evidence after the fact uh, that I didn't have a chance to respond to in my response letter. And they've gone ahead and actually, in a sense, convicted me of misinformation. Wow. So now I have to get lawyers, which I did. Uh, I have to prepare an appeal. Uh, I have to name witnesses. I'm asking for an in-person hearing, actually to go before the same, uh, in a sense, the same tribunal that's already uh, convicted me. Now, I reviewed the doctors on the tribunal. None of them uh, have any experience in public testimony on COVID-19. None of them have any credible academic experience. They have no publications uh, on the topic. And uh, uh, they are not a group of my peers. They're not people I don't think can evaluate me, me. And very importantly, they didn't disclose conflict of interest. So this is where it gets very interesting in our investigation of who the a ABIM was working with. Mm. One thing before you even get to that, that I loved what you pointed out with on Dell Big Tree, the high wire, is that you said out of the however many decades that you have been working, practicing, writing, you, all of these editorials and studies and peer-reviewed articles, misinformation has never, ever, ever been associated with anything that you have written or produced or anything. So it, it has to make you think, <laughs> you know. Why, why this time? And, and we know that 
we know why you, because you've been the most courageous, outspoken, compassionate doctor, and you're actually saving lives and you're not scared to speak up. And you, because of you, so many other doctors have had courage. We need more to have courage. <laughs> there you go. Look, <laughs> and the courage to write a book about it. <laughs> well, I want to know how it's even legal. How is this even yeah. legal? Like, where are the lawyers? I don't understand how they can do right. this. How can they well, do Sure, the process is, is broken. Uh, you know, many of the, the civil liberties in 2018, Supreme Court in the case uh, asserted that doctors have a right to free speech. That's the biggest violation of all. But, you know, no equal protection, no due process, ex post facto. I mean, the list of, of legal infractions uh, is astounding. Now, si since Kristen brought it up, I, I hope you guys can show a little picture of her wearing the misinformation. Halloween oh yes, we will. Costume. That was so <laughs> cute. Um, I have to say that the, I've researched this. The word misinformation appeared in the English literature uh, around 1500. It was used extensively in Nazi Germany propaganda campaigns. So misinformation, we see that word, think propaganda, because people are trying to grab and, and hold uh, the truth, if you will, and then cast everyone else as being untruthful or speaking misinformation. It's a, actually a classic propaganda technique. And in 2018, the New York Washington Post, I'm sorry, uh, declared that misinformation was word of the year in 2018 before COVID because it became so useful in, in partisan politics. So misinformation is not a medical word. It's never appeared in medical textbooks. Uh, there's never been ever any board questions on it. Now it is appearing in the medical literature now. Yeah. As doctors in this biased um, uh, editorial change that we see in the literature are grabbing the word misinformation and then saying that misinformation itself is like a disease that it needs to be stamped out. It needs to be attacked. So pious doctors are writing editorials uh, how to deal with COVID misinformation. So you can see that this is quickly getting out of hand. Yeah, and I think too, the other thing about the misinformation is if you're going to claim something is misinformation, then you should be under the obligation to provide the information you believe is correct. And that's what's missing, Dr. McCullough, is, is they might say, well, we disagree with this, but then where's the evidence that he is wrong or she is wrong? And that's what's missing. And yet, to your point, we now have this psychological warfare on, on American minds, or actually probably on human, human minds. But if you hear the term misinformation, it's designed to make you shut down listening to the person. And it's like calling someone an anti-vaxxer or a bigot or a racist. It's like, if you put the label on them, then, then we're training people to just Turn Shut off. it down. Yeah. And that is that's an effective way to get their messaging across and get compliance. And the three of us girls, well, we we are not great followers because if we're going to follow you, we want to know why we need to follow you. Where's the evidence? Which is why we were drawn to you, Dr. McCullough, and doctors yeah. like you, is because you were providing the science as you could see it, as you could see it evolving, and you could provide the evidence. So my question to you now is. I know that you provided evidence to them when they first accused you, right? You said, well, here's all the, you prepared a huge statement of evidence. And then now when they say, well, we're going to ignore everything you just said, and we're still going to find you guilty. Now, what's, now that you've had to hire attorneys and you've got to now fight this, um, how are you continuing? I mean, are you going to continue to bring the, like, what happens now? 
What, what, how does this work out? How do we protect democracy and the right for doctors to speak freely so we don't become a communist state of medicine? You know, the American Board of Internal Medicine may oversee the board certification of uh, maybe 300,000 doctors. I think the number is about that large. Uh, to feed all primary care, internal medicine, all medical specialists like cardiology, gastroenterology, et cetera. Question is, why me? Why do they pick me? You know, these doctors all have LinkedIn pages. They have uh, doximity. They have social media. Uh, why me? And uh, I think it's an attempt to silence me. The idea is, you know, if we can do something to this doctor. Now, by board decertification, mm -hmm. what we're talking about is my residency and fellowship. Six years of my life where I slept in the hospital every fourth night and toiled, uh, worked as hard as I could. All of that's erased. Um, uh, I uh, can no longer contract with insurance companies, can't hold hospital privileges. It effectively ends my career uh, as a doctor in good standing, multiple health systems in the course of my life. So uh, it, it, I think, uh, you know, what they could be thinking is, well, we're going to silence the, the doctor who's on the news the most, the doctor who's testifying the most. Now, for me as an individual, you can see how that backfires. Mm -hmm. So if I have now nothing else to lose here, uh, yeah, I've already lost uh, uh, my jobs. I've already, you know, this thing is just spiraling out of control. I've lost my editorships and professors of medicine and all my NIH committee meetings, you know, everything's been stripped from me. I have nothing else to lose. I mean, is that going to make me more quiet or will I get louder? So of course the answer is I'll get louder. So what, what really I think is going on is I think they're attempting to make me an example. Yep. And so if they can make me an example, they can really silence hundreds of thousands of doctors. They're going to say, listen, look what they did to Dr. McCullough. These doctors are not going to speak a word. Do you know this is codified into a law in California, AB 2098. If a doctor, again, is convicted of alleged misinformation with no, again, no due process, no definitions, no fairness, that doctor loses their medical license. They, they literally have to close down their office and move to another state. And wow. I've, seen, I've seen that happen too. Dr. McCullough, during the pandemic, there was an amazing doctor here in our area who was not enforcing masks, okay? So you could come in his waiting room. He, he figured out early on, there was no science behind it. And he's like, if you wanna wear a mask, go ahead. But we're not enforcing it here. He didn't make a statement about it or anything. <clears throat> Now, his patients are all kind of more like-minded, right? He's a medical doctor, but he is very open to, to myriad of ways of treating and, and, and prevention and, and cure. And let me tell you, this is what happened to him. Some lady comes in, gets offended, reports him to the North Carolina Medical Board, and then he has to go in now and say, well, now I've got to enforce this because I don't want to lose my license. And so they hold these doctors captive through fear of losing their income, their license, their entire medical careers. And to Dr. McCall's point, listen to me, guys. This is what he's saying. He's one of the most peer, he is the most peer-reviewed expert in his field. If they can shut him up, do you think your you know, local physician is going to have the courage to fight? Who is, I mean, he's going to, or he or she's going to think, no way, no way. So now this is their way of capturing the entire medical community so that they now work for the government and not for you. And that should frighten you. Mm -hmm. I, and I don't like pushing fear. I like pushing the truth. But you need to know what's at stake here because we need to all do whatever we can 
to fight back against this kind of what I would call medical tyranny that is continuing. Don't think that just because now most Americans, we see that the vaccine intake is dropping. We see a lot of people realizing masks didn't work. None of the things, which by the way, Dr. McCullough, all the things that the people accusing you of misinformation, everything they said has been proven wrong, literally. Masks didn't work. Yeah, the where's vaccine, misinformation on that? What about yeah, the misinformation? Their board? misinformation is proven. Where's the, <laughs> where's the, where's the recourse? Where's their accountability? I'm like, show me, I'll show you my evidence. I already have, show me yours. And they're not. <laughs> you, know, you know what I've said? Uh, and I'm in the press and, and actually my response to the board. I said, misinformation really doesn't exist in medicine. We always have evolving scientific data, observations, new studies. And there's always multiple interpretive points of view. Everyone knows this. You, you know, you see a scientific report, you know, chocolate is good for you. The next one, chocolate's bad for you. Alcohol is good for you. Alcohol. Well, you know, we're trying to find the truth through uh, studies and even certain approaches that were thought to be so beneficial were, were found out not to be so. And, and there's a quite a lag that, you know, it was 40 years uh, from the time it was known that smoking caused lung cancer before doctors finally, you know, admitted that smoking caused lung cancer because smoking was so pervasive among doctors. Uh, same thing with the opioid pandemic. From the time it was known that these opioid drugs could be so addictive, it was 20 years before now we, you know, we have a fully recognized opioid pandemic. So there's lots of examples of this. We're two years into the vaccine program. As you pointed out, it's not popular. 90% of people are not taking these shots or any more shots. And in the American Board of Internal Medicine letter, it said that some of the uh, phrases you, you said could uh, dissuade somebody from taking a vaccine as if taking a vaccine is assumed to be a good thing. You know, taking a vaccine is, is, is something that everybody needs to weigh out risks and benefits. It's not inherently good. Uh, it's not inherently meritorious, but listen to what we found out in our investigation. <clears throat> and this comes from a, a, a letter that uh, was sent out of the office of Senator Rand Paul to Rochelle Lewinsky, the head of the CDC. He said he's been informed that this CDC has had a secretly embedded PR and marketing unit, Weber Shandwick, in the offices of the CDC. And they had caught little email and LinkedIn messages between the workers saying that they worked for Weber Shandwick and Weber Shandwick was inside the CDC promoting COVID-19 vaccines specifically Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. And I've always wondered, well, you, you know, why are Pfizer and Moderna so heavily promoted? And we don't hear anything about Johnson & Johnson or Novavax. I've always wondered that. Or when and, they took uh, Johnson & Johnson off for six blood clots. Was it six blood clots? Not right, even so, right, so, <laughs> so why, why did, of course, they all cause blood clots equally in the medical literature. Right. And, but, why are two always so featured? It turns out that Weber Shandwick is, the, is one of the largest PR marketing firms in the world. They're part of IPG, which is a huge uh, marketing PR network, you know, multi-billion dollar. They have had a long-standing contract with Pfizer to represent Pfizer products. And now in 2020, they picked up a contract from Moderna. Mm -hmm. So Weber Shandwick is a PR marketing firm that was embedded within the CDC. And it turns out that the CDC had also paid Weber Shandwick to be there over a $50 million contract. And Rand Paul's letter said, listen, you can't do this. You need to explain what's going on. You're supposed to be fair and unbiased regarding these products. 
You can't have a marketing firm sitting inside the CDC vaccine and respiratory diseases unit. Wow. Well, and it's, again, you know what? I'd be curious to know too, um, Dr. McCullough, it's how far back that relationship goes because I have some serious suspicions that that relationship or these kinds of relationships have been formed for years, knowing that vaccines are huge money makers for children. You know, when you when the law passes in 1986 and there's no recourse for the parents to sue the vaccine makers for injuring their children, except to go through VAERS and go through federal court, you know, to try to get that payout, which rarely, it, it doesn't happen enough in my opinion. But I there's been some kind of connection that I haven't been able to quite piece together where the CDC and the vaccine makers seem to be working, in, like it's a co they're, they're working in tandem instead of the CDC holding the vaccine makers accountable to good science, to evidence. Uh, we see that with the flu vaccine. You know, we did an episode recently where there's no real evidence that the flu vaccine is efficacious. And yet we continue to see, I wanted to run over the sign in the grocery store parking lot this week where it's telling us again, go get your flu shot. For what? There's not, the science doesn't back up the need for the flu shot. So I want to do a little more research. Like you have got me on a rabbit trail now. I'm going to go find out how far back this relationship goes, because I think it goes back to more than just the COVID vaccine. There's yeah. something there. There's something there. We're going to find it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm. We're going to find it. So tell us then, Dr. McCullough. So now we know you, you have to, if you have to bring a PR firm in, to, to promote a vaccine, then that should raise everyone's antennas to say, why? 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 If there's a true pandemic and people are actually dying and they're, you know, wouldn't you think that the marketplace, that the demand would be created and the marketplace would run to try to get the vaccine in hopes right. that it would save them? But no, that none of that is happening anymore. Yet we're seeing a constant push. Dr. Fauci's last statement this past week said, go get your vaccine. And he literally says something like, and protect your family what was the do you, Kristen do you guys remember it was uh, like yes yeah that's not protect, true protect yourselves and your families after like, they just like still say protect others <laughs> still. So, so yeah that's that that's false promotion it's false advertising it violates the Landman Act the uh, Truth and Advertising Act and the U.S. Drug and Cosmetic Act you know all the COVID-19 vaccine advertisements have been pulled off the market and TV in Kansas uh, as a state that's uh, uh, really had a lot of reform on COVID policy and, and uh, because it's false advertising. But it, it goes further than that. We found that Weber Shandwick uh, has a program. It's called Plan VX. And this was a, and is a corporate, large corporate marketing PR program for vaccines, COVID-19 vaccines. And it says, leading through communications, they're offering best practices to business leaders as they support vaccine efforts, prepare for and navigate through returning to the workforce amidst COVID-19. Communication will be critical. They have a playbook edition one, vaccination landscape, playbook edition two, return to the office. Um, and it's clear that Weber Shandwick in, through Plan VX was promoting these large company vaccine mandates in order to return to the work with everyone being vaccinated. So this Weber Shandwick scandal goes deeper. Uh, and the last part that we've uncovered on this gets back to the American Board of Internal Medicine, uh, sadly. Uh, and that's where we've found out that um, uh, there is a, um, 
a session at South by Southwest. I'm pulling it up right now. Hopefully you'll be able to show it in your program notes. South by Southwest is a technology conference in Austin. It's kind of a, a jazzy, uh, uh, you know, hipster meeting to go to. Last year, myself and Joe Rogan, we were banned, specifically banned from South by Southwest uh, because we had just had our record setting podcast in his Austin studio. So I actually gave uh, several stage presentations down there. And I spoke with a former NFL great, uh, uh, Evan Britton, and uh, had actually had a point-counterpoint uh, podcast of someone who was very pro-promotional vaccine there at South by Southwest. They snuck me in through like one of the back gates at a backyard of a building in downtown. It was actually a lot of fun. Uh, my wife went with me. And um, uh, But South by Southwest this year has a session it's called When Doctors Prescribe Misinformation. So here we go, the propaganda term. Well, guess who's presenting there? Richard Barron, the president of the American Board of Internal Medicine, Wasim Khalid of Blackbird AI, an artificial intelligence company, and then Aliyah Mosin, who's the vice president of digital health for Weber Shandwick. So wait a minute. They're actually on the same panel. So this brings in a company, Blackbird AI. So we had to look up what was going on there. Blackbird AI is a artificial intelligence company that is contracted by Weber Shandwick. So Weber Shandwick is using artificial intelligence and Blackbird's AI, they're one of their first public projects was artificial intelligence on Twitter. On who on Twitter? is quote, spreading misinformation. So what we've uncovered is a giant uh, a collusion. This it, it meets all the criteria for fraud, racketeering, uh, illegal, uh, uh, false advertising. And so I anticipate there'll be uh, investigations uh, at multiple levels, probably multiple state attorney general levels. Uh, any large company that had Weber Shandwick on their campuses uh, or on their Zoom calls ought to immediately uh, uh, you know, take corrective action here. Otherwise, I think there's gonna be big trouble. Wow. Yeah, and, and should be. Um, and, and, you know, and, and then I just, there's a, in October 26, 2020, I'm just finding a headline, medical marketing and media, it says Weber Shanwick wins potential $50 million CDC flu vaccine comms account. You can oh. Google. You can Google it. So we're going to be doing some more looking into this. <laughs> the, web, the web of Weber, the 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 evil web of Weber Shanwick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's right. And and you know what? Uh, since I I wanted to respond to your comment regarding the flu vaccine paper in MMWR this year, reporting on the flu vaccine efficacy last year by Chung and colleagues, showed that 16% vaccine efficacy statistically insignificant from zero. So mm -hmm. you're right, Holly, it is a zero shot. It gives zero benefit. And you know, the vaccine schedule now uh, administers flu shots to babies one year old. Yeah, Babies don't have any role in the flu. You know, when I was born, there were three shots, three. And, and one of them had a, a, a combination, MMWR. So the MMR, I'm sorry, the measles, mumps, rubella. But there were three shots. A child today faces a schedule of 72 shots, and a lot of them are accounted for with influenza vaccine, which is not needed in children. And we also have vaccines that 
are treating, in a sense, now um, legacy problems that are, would be easy to treat with antibiotics like diphtheria, pertussis, tetanus. You know, diphtheria and pertussis, they're treated with a Z-pack. How many kids have taken a Z-pack or adults? We, because so it covers a simple to treat uh, in, infection. So you know, if you look at, let's say, pertussis, and maybe each year there's a handful of cases that, that you could say specifically would need treatment. Well, there's not too much money to be made on that. There's a lot of money to be made if you vaccinate every single human being for pertussis. And I think it's the scale of the revenues on vaccines that have really driven this uh, through the roof. And a great book you should put in your program notes too is called Turtles All the Way Down. Yes, I keep, I want to get that book. I I got it on my list. I got it. It it basically goes over uh, the, the, the sequence of vaccines and the randomized trials to support them. And one of the major findings is that, you know, when a new vaccine comes out, it's not tested versus placebo for safety. It's tested against an active comparator, which itself has safety uh, reports. And so it, it always, in a sense, comes out to be about the same. And, and the safety reports that come out of uh, vaccines um, you know, are stochastic, meaning they seem to have this randomness to it. But there's always a trend towards um, having increased allergies over the course of life, including asthma, urticaria, allergic rhinitis, uh, uh, hives, uh, neuropsychiatric problems like uh, autism, Asperger's, uh, uh, epilepsy, uh, and actually childhood epilepsies been implicated. And so I think everyone knows this, that it is possible, even though you've tolerated prior vaccines to suddenly have a very abnormal uh, reaction. You know, my uh, mother, who was in college at the time at Bowling Green University in the 1950s, uh, they rolled out a new vaccine and they lined up the college kids. So this is not uh, new what's going on today. You know, this is back in the 50s and all the kids, they had a gun and they literally just shot the kids with this vaccine. My mom developed some type of reaction where she lost consciousness and she was in a coma for about nine days uh, in the hospital. And back then there was no internet or cell phones. Her parents didn't even know what happened to her. And uh, she lost nine days of her life. And, uh, and so ever since that time, she's been very wary of taking vaccines. And now she's in independent living and, um, uh, you know, in, in, in a big building, my dad is on, you know, was on the other side in, uh, in the, um, uh, assisted living. And uh, this issue of COVID vaccination came up. And I kept telling my mom, I said, my mom, I said, mom, I don't know. I mean, I know you're high risk. You know, dad's already had it, but you haven't. And, you know, we kind of temporized, temporized. At first, I was not against the vaccines. I just wanted to, to, to learn more about them. Uh, and I was, uh, I had equanimity. And uh, it was by about March of 2021, I said, gosh, you know, people are dying after the vaccine. The VAERS reports are, are clear now. It's not safe for everyone. And my mom said, geez, you know, I had a bad reaction to the flu vaccine. I wonder if this would happen to me. And I, I said, I just can't predict. So my mom uh, ultimately took on the approach that she's not taking the vaccine. So she was going to be the one. And you can imagine the elderly people in assisted living and skilled nursing and, um, and independent living. And so my mom would go around, you know, as the evidence started to come out uh, that the vaccines, the COVID vaccines were not safe. And she'd go around and say, you know, I hope you didn't take that vaccine. It's not, it's not safe. And I, and I know 
because my son's on Fox News and they would all sit around and go on Fox News and she would, you know, take it upon herself to inform everybody she could that the vaccines weren't safe. You know, it's interesting. People that get older, they tend to lose their filters. They're a lot like yes. little kids. So yes. really no I don't know how I'm going to be. Woo. I'm going to be a mess. <laughs> so anyhow, uh, so this is what we've uncovered. So, uh, it, you know, in our witness list that we're going to call for the American Warm Term Medicine, we're, we're going to actually call uh, Weber Shandwick. We're calling uh, Blackbird oh. AI. Uh, we've let them know that we know uh, that they're uh, you know, obviously actively working with the PR and marketing firms for yeah. Pfizer and Moderna. Now, I anticipate Weber Shandrick is going to say, well, we were just uh, you know, involved with influenza. Uh, the, uh, the communications that Rand Paul has between the Weber Shandwick employees make it clear that they're marketing COVID-19. It's not just influenza. Yeah. So uh, in a sense, they've been caught in something everyone knew was a collusion. Uh, we have this exposed on our Substack Courageous Discourse. You, you, uh, uh, you girls have a terrific one too. You know, we've really found since uh, since so many people were censored off of Twitter and Facebook that Substack is actually better because uh, we can give a little lengthier uh, essay. Most of the essays are anywhere between two and four minutes to read. Uh, they have an ability to cite the data and put in images. And so I've chosen to write mine with best-selling true crime author, John Leake, who we wrote the, um, who we wrote the book with. Yeah, and John right has one, listen, yeah, John has one out today. You've got to read it. It's on the White House coronavirus coordinator, Ashish Jha. Oh, and, oh now, John can do this. In my field as a doctor, it's considered... Um, uh, not uh, stately or appropriate for one doctor to attack another. So I, you'll never see me attack another doctor. I just won't do it. Um, but uh, John uh, takes on the issue of Ashish Jha, who was the minority witness in the first set of U.S. Senate testimony on November 19, 2020. And Jha faced me, and I was uh, witness for the majority. And what John has uncovered is that Ashish Jha was at the Georgetown Pandemic Preparedness Planning Meeting in 2017 with Anthony Fauci, oh. where they were telling the audience that there is going to be a pandemic. There's gonna be a coronavirus pandemic. And what John points out is he had so many years to get ready for it. So when Ja under testimony said that he had never treated a patient, he didn't have a treatment plan for patients. The only thing Ja could talk about was vaccines coming. That that this is you know prima facie evidence that this is planned. The only response was vaccines, and there was no hope for early treatment. You know, years in advance, it was basically ruled out by them. Well, it, I can remember in 2020 listening to I think it was Dell Bigtree. He had he had Geert Van Den Bosch on his show because Geert had sort of made waves by saying this is the wrong weapon for the wrong war. Now again, Geert Van Den Bosch had worked with the Gates Foundation. He he was a vaccinologist, if that sort of thing exists, right? Where you help develop vaccines. And he was, he was screaming, literally, I mean, almost screaming, do not do this. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is going to be bad. And this is what he said. And it gives me chills to think of it this day, but I'm going to probably quote him badly so you can go back and listen to it for yourselves. But he basically was like, you're going to have people Dropping dead. I think he may have called the cardiac events, which I want you to speak to, Dr. McCullough, because we need the science on this too. But but he talked about 
that they would not be able to fight other respiratory viruses or when they actually got COVID, eventually it would make them more susceptible to bad outcomes. And he was screaming this in 20, this was, this must've been the end of 2020 or the beginning of 2021. It was as they're talking about the vaccines. And I just remember hearing it. And that was really when, in one of my moments where I'm not pro-vaccine anyway, I'm very cautious about them like your mom because of bad experiences. So I was like, no, I'm not, I don't think I'm gonna do this. That sort of sealed the deal, but his words have just echoed in my mind as we've seen the bad outcomes. We are seeing now the most recent report, I believe, and correct me, I know you'll know this better than I do, Dr. McCullough, but is it 58% came out this week of people dying of COVID are now va vaccinated indiv individuals. They've had at least one. 53 or something. Yeah, or something yeah it's yeah. over 50%, mm -hmm. yeah. right? So clearly it's not had the effect that we were told it was going to have. But Dr. McCullough, being a cardiologist, being the expert in the field, you talked about this with Dell, how we should have known that, that, car, that, that they should have been looking for heart issues because of Dr. Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina when they were playing around with these COVID viruses a long time ago. Tell us what you learned about him and about what they should have known. Mm -hmm. Well, Holly, I can certainly tell you're well caffeinated. You've got your uh, <laughs> you've got your smart glasses on, and you're really going for it now. Uh, let's unpack this first. Uh, Gert Vandenbosch, uh, who's a veterinarian by training, but he became an immunologist, vaccinologist, works for Gates Foundation, multiple of the big companies. He came out very early mm -hmm. and said a couple of things. One, uh, we shouldn't mass vaccinate into a highly prevalent pandemic because uh, no shot in the arm can sterilize the, the nasal mucosa. He said the virus is just going to basically mutate and find ways to invade the body. And sooner or later, the virus is going to turn more virulent and actually become more fatal that we're, we're playing with fire here. He wasn't against vaccination. If we would have had a safe nasal mist vaccine that could have been given to nursing home patients or you know a limited uh, administration, that would have been fine. But mass vaccinating people who don't need it is a massive mistake because it simply breeds uh, resistant strains, just like you know, broad use of an antibiotic. Mm -hmm. uh, terms have been used: antibody dependent enhancement and uh, or um, immune misprinting, uh, mm -hmm. and those are you know of curious uh, investigation by doctors. But for the public, just needs to know we shouldn't mass vaccinate for any problem when there's a lot of it around because the virus will figure out ways to, to mutate and get past it. And, and that is exactly what's happened. You know, the most recent example of that is the bivalent vaccines. We're targeting BA4, BA5 subvariants of Omicron. Well, what did the virus do within a few months? Quickly mutated off BA4, BA5, which are now essentially gone. And now we have BQ1 and BQ1.1. And a paper by Q and colleagues has demonstrated that the new vaccines are unlikely to have any theoretical coverage. So they're already out of date and they still have the same, uh, the same toxicity. Now, getting back to the specific cardiac toxicity, you're right, Ralph Barrick in, in 1992 was uh, experimenting with beta coronaviruses and showed in large doses and in the right administration could actually cause heart damage with coronaviruses, specifically the spike protein on coronaviruses. So from the very beginning, there was a suspicion that with COVID-19 that there could be heart damage. And in fact, there was promotion of this, that uh, the, um, the Big 10 Athletic League actually had a, had a whole COVID 
myocarditis screening program for college athletes in 2020, before the vaccine, so troponin, EKG, echo, cardiac MRI, and in a paper by Daniels and colleagues appeared in JAMA, and they found a handful of cases, about I think about three dozen out of you know, over a thousand uh, uh, cases where uh, there was spurious findings in MRI, no hospitalizations, no deaths. The military had a similar program, same thing. So if they found myocarditis, it was, uh, it, it was very uh, sparse in number and inconsequential. So they dropped the program. And the ironic part of this is that with the vaccines, there's a massive dose of spike protein and all these, um, all these entities drop their screening programs for myocarditis and sure enough, within six months, our FDA is warning, 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 the vaccines cause myocarditis while the colleges were no longer checking for it, military no longer checking for it and people have been ravaged with myocarditis. We have many thousands of cases uh, in the United States Fatal cases published from Washington University in St. Louis by Verma, Choi in Korea, Gill in Connecticut, two boys in Connecticut die a few days after the second dose of Pfizer. They die at home. And, the, and that the Gill paper is notable because uh, there's no premonitory symptoms. Mothers had no idea. They found their teenage boys dead at home and they get autopsies. And uh, the coroner in Connecticut and pathologist University of Michigan and Minnesota agree that the vaccines are the cause of death. Uh, and now uh, a paper appeared in circulation, our best research cardiology journal by Patone, describing a hundred fatal cases, a hundred fatal cases. Half are with Pfizer and Moderna, but half are also with AstraZeneca, implying, uh, you know, AstraZeneca and Johnson Johnson, by the way, are made by the same company. Uh, it, it's called, um, uh, uh, Gosh, uh, I'm blanking on the name now. Uh, it's right outside of Baltimore, Maryland. It's a defense contractor. Uh, and uh, by the way, all the vaccines are made by U.S. defense contractors. They're not made uh, by the pharmaceutical companies themselves. Or in a sense, they're kind of marketing entities. Uh, and I know for sure Moderna is made by a company called Resilience. And uh, uh, so they're, they have contracts with the Department of Defense. That's the reason why you can't buy vaccines or the vaccines are not um, for sale you, you know, through your insurances, don't pay for them. Uh, they're military products. And so they're marketed through these companies. But at any rate, um, uh, so with myocarditis now, uh, we have a situation where every single life insurance company is reporting record uh, sudden deaths. We've had many notable figures die after the vaccine. And it's likely it's myocarditis. It could be a fatal blood clot or allergic reaction, but it started with Hank Aaron, baseball great, mm -hmm. uh, who takes the vaccine. He dies a few days later. His elderly boxer, Marvin Hagler, uh, Midran Lewis, a CNN a legal correspondent. Uh, and there's different scenarios. These are ones where it's, it's stated with the CNN correspondent said she had a fatal allergic reaction. And you know we never bring this up, but uh, this was the center issue for quarterback Aaron Rodgers who said he didn't want to take a vaccine. He had a, a very serious polyethylene glycol allergy. Right. He told the Packers, he said, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna take the vaccine. Uh, they said, well, you have to. He goes, well, I'm not going to. And they, they get all kinds of vaccine discrimination that wouldn't let him work out with the team. And uh, oh, yeah. he got COVID and they gave him extra financial fines. And um, yeah, I went, on, uh, I went on a podcast actually with uh, one of my favorite uh, announcers of Monday Night Football, Michelle Tafoya. And I asked Michelle, I said, what was in the Packers' mind, uh, the Packer administration? Like, you know, would they 
Would they rather see him dead with a vaccine injection in his arm or have him be alive and be the star quarterback? And she said they'd rather see him dead. Uh, that that, that the, the, the mindset of the NFL executives is just take the vaccine and die. And when um, have you encouraged something that you know people have an anaphylactic, a really terrible reaction to? Right. I mean, this is never. No, so one, never. Of the one of the examples I use is that we are so concerned with fatal allergies that we won't let a single peanut on an air airplane because oh. a child or someone may have a peanut allergy, right? Yeah. But suddenly when it's COVID-19 vaccines, the Packers don't care if they lose their star quarterback. So in my Substack, I bring out some other examples. Uh, Tampa Bay uh, uh, coach, uh, Bruce Arians, um, he's pushing the vaccines in 2021. The only way to come back is to take a vaccine. Got to take a vaccine. He goes, everybody on the Bucks is vaccinated, coach, players, and staff. Well, Bruce Aarons, October of 2021, hospitalized myocarditis. Yep. Myocarditis, what else could cause it is COVID-19. Well, Lancet says the air pollution can cause it. Apparently, well, Lancet just came out with an article saying that air pollution particles, you know, just like naps and cold showers and making your bed, well, are all listen, of a sudden the, making everybody have heart attacks. There's a paper uh, published prior to COVID by Arola and colleagues from Finland. We know the background rate of myocarditis is four cases per million per year. And mainly in young men, the peak age is 18 to 24, 90% of cases are men. And with the COVID-19 vaccines, two papers, one by Mansugi and the other one by Lepesek, both show this nearly the same rate. The rate is about 2.5% of people taking the vaccines. That means 25,000 per million. So four to 25, Bruce Arians had it due to the vaccine, uh, you know, on a statistical basis. It doesn't stop there though. In my Substack, I've had a whole bunch of these. I, I bring out Deion Sanders, you know, former great player for the Cowboys, played baseball. Deion really pushing the vaccines, virtue signaling. Aaron Rodgers was a bad guy, so he took the vaccine. He's given videos telling his players to take the vaccine. He develops blood clots on the arterial side of the circulation, shoot to his legs, and he has toe amputations. He's sick. He has multiple surgeries. He, he comes back to the sidelines in a wheelchair. He looks terrible. And um, he does a whole docu-series on his return to the sidelines coaching the team. He never mentions the vaccine. And he, you know, he does have a, a family history of blood clotting disorders. And that's the, that's the classic setup we see for people who develop vaccine blood clots is they tend to have a genetic tendency for blood clotting. And then the spike protein from the vaccines tips them over into a thrombotic syndrome. Can you also and speak to while we're talking to, oh, sorry, Holly. No, go ahead, go ahead. The myocarditis, when because you mentioned this on Dell too, and I want people to hear this, with the um, chain of events of the uh, the licensure, like when they get the license, when they said, oh, they're approved for the license, but they were supposed to, Pfizer was supposed to do proactive studies to look oh. at them for myocarditis, but then they didn't. And then this came out. I mean, can you just, just briefly, I know we're, you know, I don't want to, but I do think right. people need to hear that timeline and and when people are like oh this has been approved but nobody's getting the approved vaccine anyway and then there was also stipulations for for the approval right, right. so you know what happened in august of 2021 i think it's an important inflection point the vaccine uh, advisory panel for the fda uh, met and uh, for pfizer and then later on they did it for moderna but they issued what's called a, a biological licensing agreement bla 
letter, a letter, BLA letter that says you could get a fully approved product as a company if you do studies on myocarditis and heart damage, uh, pregnancy warnings, negotiate a package insert, which has to disclose the ingredients in the vaccines, et cetera. And so the companies were told that, listen, you have a pathway for approval, but it's not approved yet. You've got to follow what's in this letter and the letters are available. Well, what came out of that was a media talking point that went all the way up to the president of the United States saying that Pfizer was approved. Mm-hmm. The Department of Defense took this and said Pfizer's approved and they forced the vaccines on the military because they said it was approved. And you'd say, wait a minute, if it's approved, number one, you can buy it uh, from CVS or Walgreens. There's a full package insert and your insurances would pay for it. It, it wouldn't be a government issued military vaccine at that point in time. It would be a commercial product. And the reason why I say military is uh, we've uncovered that uh, DARPA, the research unit of the military, and BARDA, the research uh, unit of uh, the NIH, have been working on these since 2011. BARDA has a program called the uh, ADAPT Protect P3 program, Pandemic uh, uh, Preparedness Protection Program. And in that program, uh, they say outright, they said, we are working with messenger RNA to develop vaccines to end pandemics within 60 days. That's way before Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson Johnson, Novavax were even in the picture. These are military products. And when uh, when they rolled out, it was Alex Azar, Secretary of Health and Human Services, and the Department of Defense that signed off on this. Because remember, emergency use authorization is previously only for the military. Anthrax, I mean, all of its prior use of that legislation was for the military, it was never for the population. And so under EUA, it's unclear if the FDA really needs to approve anything. And maybe that explains why the FDA, it looks like they are just rubber stamping things. They're showing no efforts to critically analyze things. The FDA has not you know, paused the program, put any um, you know, safety analyses in place because I don't think they can stop it. It also shows why Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson, Johnson, Novavax have not had any product recalls because it's military, They're, they don't even make the products. They're made by defense contractors and the defense contractors by their contract have no inspections on quality, safety, or purity once their final fill and finish is done on the vials. They, they put a Pfizer label on it or Moderna label, but it comes from biodefense contractors. Wow. It, wow. It's so interesting just what has been exposed over the last two years. What the average person could have learned about the three-letter agencies, about pharmaceutical companies and politics, how politicized, frankly, um, medicine has become. I think the average person didn't know that, but I think one of the best things that could be learned is the American public for generations, and Dr. McCullough, you know this as a physician, we've idolized doctors and we've taken their advice as being the gospel truth if I had done that in my life, I probably wouldn't be sitting here. I, I had to critically think uh, past medical advice more than once in my life to be here today. So I was, I consider myself a lucky one. I did not blindly trust doctors. I researched for myself, even when doctors laugh at you for Googling or for researching. But if you aren't your own advocate, you are, you're vulnerable to, to just blind trust. And I think we've learned that blind trust is not helpful here. Um, what would you say, Dr. McCullough, what is your advice today to the average American, knowing what you know, seeing what you see, what can the average American do 
to help us not lose in this pandemic? How do we get our freedoms? How do we protect doctors like you? What can the average person do to help make a difference? I think the average person now learning all this, we know 90% of people know the vaccines aren't safe and they don't work. Uh, they're not taking any more. I think at their next doctor's appointment or schedule one, I think they should bring up the issue of the vaccine. And if the doctor is still promoting the vaccine and they should give the feedback that, you know, I, I, I don't feel comfortable with the vaccines. I, I, I've done my uh, analysis. I, I, I don't think they're safe or effective. And if the doctor wants to make the case and say, well, doctor, you can take some more of these vaccines. I'm not going to. And I think if the doctor's got that feedback every single patient, every single day, the doctors will start to say, my gosh, I, the, the patients don't think they're safe. Yeah, it, believe me, patients' perceptions of things. I have patients every day tell me they don't think statins are safe or ACE inhibitors or other drugs. I mean, we're constantly doing this. The average patient is so terrified with COVID, they have not given doctors this important feedback. I think that's very helpful. You know, additional things are wonderful, uh, like, you know, writing your congressmen and, and senators, uh, your local uh, uh, political uh, committees, you know what people can do is they can start to join the freedom movement, which is kind of hot. Um, there's, uh, there's freedom conferences going all over the country. Yes. People get updated. They get to meet kind of some of the, 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 the stars, if you will. Uh, there's so many great programs. There's one, um, I don't know if you've ever been to it, Clay Clark's Reawaken America. <laughs> I'm going to be speaking at the one in, in January, um, uh, right after General Flynn uh, in Nashville. These are so much fun. There's so much electricity. Uh, these health freedom events are wonderful. And you know, there's no vaccine celebrations going on. There's no, there's no, no messenger RNA gala balls. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's so dark and depressing on the side of mass vaccination. These, oh, these poor people are just sitting around waiting for their blood clots and <laughs> heart damage. And, and, and you know, listen, I recently uh, was asked, uh, you know, before COVID, I was a very popular grand round speaker. I had you know, delivered um, lectures all over the world. I was asked by a usual um, sponsor to, to be a part of a meeting. And it was Kaiser Permanente in California. And they said, well, we want you to talk an unusual topic about heart and kidney disease. I said, no, I want to talk about COVID. Oh, oh we got to talk to you about this. And so I had to talk to the chairman. And this is how I convinced him. I, I said, you know, we have a new normal. Uh, we have data now that the, the, the exposure that every human body in this country has been exposed to either the virus or the vaccine or both. And we know the spike protein and the genetic material from the vaccines are long lasting. I said, the human condition has changed. It's not the same old lecture. It's changed. Everything we talk about has to be in the context of COVID. And with COVID, it, you know, the spike protein does cause blood clots. There is heart damage. There are immune system and blood disorders, kidney disease. So I finally convinced him. I said, you know, I, I said, I think doctors have not wanted to listen to these lectures because the doctors took the vaccines themselves. And they're psychologically uh, having a very difficult time coming to this reality that they could be the next blood clot victim or the next myocarditis. You know, in Canada, there are up to 80 Canadian doctors that have died, uh, typically after the fourth shot. Is there, Dr. McCullough, because I know we're going to have some people listening that did get a shot or two, maybe three. Um, we just had a, a, a very popular um, uh, principal at one of the middle schools drop dead at her desk at school. And she was 
thin. She's otherwise healthy. I did not know her. I do know her daughter. It was her daughter's birthday. Rob said, I've not asked how many shots she had. If you go to her social media, she's masked still. So I'm assuming she, I'm assuming, I could be wrong. I'm assuming that there was probably compliance with the shots. But for people who are now scared, because they realize I did it. I thought I was doing the right thing. I now realize it was the wrong thing. I don't want them to live in fear forever. Is there a window of time that you think they're most at risk of having these adverse or deadly reactions? Do you think that perhaps over time, there's less risk after having been inoculated? Do you think there's a window of time where there may be less at risk if they don't keep doing it? <laughs> first well, let, let me address the assumption first. You, you said you assumed that this principal had taken the vaccine. Is that a fair assumption? Uh, I would say that if someone today who's ostensibly healthy has no known antecedent illnesses, uh, there's no suicide, no drug overdose, no motor vehicle accident, they just die at their desk. Uh, I would conclude that it is COVID-19 subclinical myocarditis or a fatal pulmonary embolism until proven otherwise. Now, if there's an autopsy that shows something else, uh, you know, a simple thing is if the family comes out and said, hey, she didn't take the vaccine, we'll rule it out. But the conservative thing to do is assume it's the vaccine. It's the only new exposure we have uh, broadly in the population. And uh, famed UK cardiologist, Asim Malhotra, who's uh, come out after previously promoting the vaccine, watching his father die after the vaccine and doing his own research, has come out and said, listen, these vaccines aren't safe. Uh, he and I did a little mini documentary. It's on the Vaccine Safety Research Foundation. It's called Until Proven Otherwise. And uh, we both give our separate analyses. And I, I do agree with that. The, you know, the next person who dies, it is the vaccine until proven otherwise. Now, if, if they come out and say, listen, they didn't take the vaccine, we can easily rule it out. Exactly. Um, or they say that there's that. some other... <laughs> yeah, there's some other condition. Now, now the, 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 in a sense, uh, two-thirds or more of the population has taken the vaccine. There is a, a sense of, of panic now. People have said, well, you know, when does this get out of my body? Uh, so far, there's never been a study showing the messenger RNA gets out of the body. And the same thing is true for the spike protein. We're actually not convinced this actually gets out of the body. I'd like to see some type of time analysis where finally it's gone. Um, the answer is no. Um, we, uh, there's a recent paper by Banoon and call uh, Banoon, uh, and, and, uh, she's a former inserm scientist, which is a leading research unit in, um, in, uh, France where, uh, you know, she's concluded that, um, the messenger RNA spike protein are a body in the body, freely available circulatory and actually in secretions. Uh, so people are shedding who take the vaccine both the spike protein and the messenger RNA. The messenger RNA is more worrisome because uh, if there was close contact, kissing or sexual contact, uh, cl close breath contact with someone who's taken the vaccine, uh, almost assuredly there's transfer of messenger RNA. Recent paper from Hannah and colleagues showed the messenger RNA was in breast milk. So the breastfeeding women are clearly giving it to their baby uh, by that mechanism. So you know, there are people who don't wanna be vaccinated and in fact, they may be vaccinated via shedding. Uh, and the question is how long? You know, I previously said 30 days that I thought that was gonna be reasonable, but uh, you know, she has nearly hundred references in this paper, one by Fertig and colleagues, showing that messenger RNA was in high concentrations and circulating in the bloodstream for 15 days and the curves weren't going down. 
So I've now broadened my recommendations to no kissing, sexual contact, no close face-to-face contact with a vaccinated person to 90 days. I may upgrade that to a year. Uh, the question is, uh, you know, how, how about safety from uh, heart damage, blood clots, et cetera. I recently in my practice had two women develop blood clots 18 months after the vaccine, 18 mm-hmm. months. Now the problem is, is now there's dual exposures. There's the vaccines, but then people get COVID on top of that. And we have these multiple exposures that could be extending the risk uh, on my social media feed uh, today. I have an analysis from Ed Dowd, who's a former BlackRock executive who's studying the, um, the actuary curves and dealing with the actuaries. And he's saying that this death risk is extending out to more than a year. Uh, and it, it may just be that there's a lot of heart damage that is not felt. And it's, it's just the statistical risk of, of when there'll be a surge in adrenaline and the right conditions for a cardiac arrest. We know there's two periods of time where that happens. One is between three and 6 a.m. in the morning. So that's the reason why some of these deaths occur in the morning because uh, there's a surge of adrenaline and cortisol during the normal waking process. And of course there is a surge of uh, adrenaline during athletics. So we see uh, sports figures dying, people working out uh, record numbers of of professional footballers and others who are passing away. So we, we think this is subclinical myocarditis until proven otherwise. Uh, no data on when this gets out of the body. Uh, it may be more than a year. Uh, risks should clearly be extended now to 18 months. And uh, we're actively looking for ways of clearing this out of the body. Uh, a couple hopeful leads, one post-infection, we know long COVID is probably a similar manifestation of vaccine, hyperbaric oxygen treatment. And there's a, a randomized trial from Israel that I think was pretty convincing, multiple other supportive studies. Then the Japanese have, uh, in one good preclinical study, uh, and this will have to be demonstrated humans, have shown that a supplement called natokinase, natokinase, N-A-T-T-O-K-I-N-A-S-E, which is a natural oral uh, blood thinner, uh, seems to digest the spike protein, but not damage the cells uh, in that that cell preparation that they had. But again, uh, you know, that's that's, uh, not ready for prime use right now. But uh, I think we're starting to see panic. Uh, yes. Arise in the population, and 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 you know, and I've limited my comments to myocarditis, blood clots, uh, immune system problems, neurologic damage. Those are all FDA ag- approved <laughs> warnings uh, agreed upon. Uh, I think that what's looming out there as the big risk, and, and I'm not ready to call it yet, uh, but what's looming out there is cancer. And, yeah. and if indeed cancer risks are increased, let's say the five-year cancer risks are increased with vaccines, if that's if that's proven to be the case, I think you're going to see a panic in this country among those who took the vaccines, unlike anything we've seen. Yeah, we've also talked about autoimmunity in um, with Dell. What was it you said? Um, oh my gosh, the setup of autoimmunity. I wrote that, that down. That's true. You know, there's a paper. Yeah, paper published by Florida International Atlantic University by Nunez Castilla that demonstrated is really remarkable. With the spike protein that's generated from the vaccine, there's about three dozen uh, homologous uh, segments to human proteins. That's almost as if the genetic code was humanized. And, and you, you know, by the way, the genetic code is, is in a sense a, a trade secret. Moderna is suing Pfizer 
over the genetic code. And you'd have to think about this. How could you de devise a genetic code that would be read by human ribosomes, the, the protein synthesis uh, translation uh, units in the cell? It, it probably had to be humanized, me meaning there were segments that actually had to look close enough to human segments in order to produce the spike protein. And, and that's what Nunes Castillo has discovered that in fact has been humanized. Now, now the, the, the bad news there is that if the spike protein mimics human proteins, it's gonna uh, create antibodies against human proteins and actually cause autoimmunity. In addition to the autoimmunity that when the, the spike protein is expressed on the cell surface, that the body's gonna attack these cells and recognize them as foreign. And I interviewed Dr. Um, Dr. Polycretus from Italy who's done a lot of work on this in my podcast, you cited on the Highwire that, that uh, in fact, everybody who takes these vaccines in a sense is causing their body to attack itself because yes. the body is producing the Wuhan Institute of Virology spike protein in their cells. Mm. Very, mm. very concerning. And, and again, it's, it's the more, you know, you know, when we say that, you know, the, when you know better, you do better. We hope that now every listener, if you're not now convinced, we, we, for a long time, Dr. McCullough, we wouldn't say on the podcast, we would tell people it's your choice. You choose what you want to do. And we do believe that that's true. That's part of freedom. Freedom is that you're allowed a choice, but we've now gotten to the point where we feel so compelled to say that we feel that it's to the point now that we want to save lives and we want to, we want to protect people's health that we now say, do not get the vaccine. And if you don't understand why we would say that now, just on what Dr. McCullough has cited alone, then, then I don't, then you have some kind of cognitive dissonance. I don't know how to fix because. But, but do, do you think, do you think people know the vaccines now are not safe? Do you think people generally know? I think, I think the majority of people hopefully do. It seems like it from the, you know, from, I guess, from the, the statistics and yeah. the percentages, but I think what's so crazy is our, our health, public health officials and and the media and and all of these people still pushing it and still just trying to assume so the people who are just watching the news that it once again it's the propaganda it's it's oh, really yeah we've been watching the world cup um we've been watching the world cup and that every other commercial is just you know these really emotionally charged grandma with little kid you know are you, have you gotten your new vaccine Line up, get the shot? I mean, and this is, you know, you know, this is going on around the, this is the world cup. This is worldwide advertising happening to every country. And it literally is every commercial break at least once is a push for being vaccinated. And so. last month, last month, Dr. McCullough, my son was getting married. I had the television on while I was doing something, getting ready and every commercial break without fail was Sesame Street telling kids uh, about the COVID vaccine and why they should get it. And, and to your point, Dr. McCullough, you would think by now, don't parents know, but you know what? Some are still lining up and a, a rumor, uh, you know, that I heard even, it must be, you know, I don't, I don't want to spread misinformation at all. I hate that word now, but I don't <laughs> want to, but, but the, you know, people we know who have dropped dead, we're lining like multiple boosters now. And that's where I'm just like, how connect the dots connect the dots i don't understand why like we should like you said 
I'm going to assume like we have a text thread, even with um, Holly's sister, Anna, we could just go back through our text thread with everything that we send, because that's where we send all these people who are dying suddenly. And, and just like, we want to plug the video, the, the recent dad suddenly documentary, very, very good. And, but it, we should be able to assume that. And, and if somebody wants to refute that, then show us. It proved that none of them are connected. That proved to them that they didn't get it. And if they did get, there's got to be a common denominator, you know, and you don't have a healthy athlete die of a heat stroke inside his home. That, that, that wasn't on there, but I remember that was one of the football players, like an NFL football player, like that, you don't die of a heat stroke inside your home. It's That's every day where every single day we're texting a sudden death of a healthy person. Well, I mean, this is what I'd say is that, listen, if someone gives an alternative explanation, like a heat stroke, whatever, we could even accept that. Uh, but but most of the time the families are completely silent. Mm-hmm. Completely Wait, why silent. is that? That's scary. That is what's scary. It's, and, they're and worried so, about vaccine hesitancy, and I'm like, do you? They should be right. <laughs> but there, there are obituaries uh, out there. I show them at some of my lectures. There's an obituary of a young woman from uh, uh, from Washington State. She dies of vaccine-induced thrombocytopenic purpura. She dies, and it's right in her. It's right in her um, obituary. There's another one of a man who's dying of a multi-system inflammatory disorder after the vaccine. He actually writes his own obituary to tell people, listen, you know, you don't want to die like this. This is a torture. And so there are uh, honest obituaries out there. But the reason why I raised the question is, I don't think people have actually formed the opinion the vaccines are, are not safe uh, because of, of, of this, uh, this media war that we're in. I think they've learned by word of mouth. And I say that because there's a survey by Zogby, uh, a, a valid survey company uh, of, a, of a large sample of America, two thirds took the vaccines, uh, 85% are fine, but 15% have some new disease that they're seeing a doctor for, you know, headaches, ear ringing, blood clots, neuropathy, skin rashes, myocarditis. So 15% is a big enough fraction where people are gonna talk to other people. Here's another source of data. Uh, the VSAFE data, which was uh, the, the CDC data that people, you know, people were f- completing their cell phone applications for this, and they were told to do this. The CDC did not want to release this information to the American public, and under court order, it was released to the ICANN NGO, mm-hmm. and it was stunning. Aaron Siri, uh, the lead attorney, went on Fox News prime time the, the day they had it analyzed, uh, this is about a month ago, and, and Aaron said uh, that 25% of people who take the vaccine are physically incapacitated. They can't go to work the next day. Can you imagine a, a, a pilot who can't show up to, to fly the plane or, or a bus driver? Yeah, they're so sick. And that, that seven to 8% of them have to be hospitalized. And so, you know, those numbers are big enough where people are going to say, yeah, I took the vaccine. I had to be hospitalized. Um, and that they're going to talk to others. And finally, a third source is a Michigan State survey by Detmar and colleagues. That shows 22% of Americans know somebody who died or who's been injured with the vaccines. That's it. These fractions are big enough where people talk to other people. And, and so, that should be big enough to stop this or pause it. Well, you know, I had a patient uh, about a couple of weeks ago who gave me some insight on this. And she's a, you know, elderly, uh, frail, um, diabetic, has a, a vascular disease with blockages and stents. And she's on multiple medicines and, uh, and she's taken four of these shots. And she told me that a few months ago she had COVID and she got through it. Okay. 
I said, well, are you going to take any more shots? And uh, you know, I, you know, I, I told her, I said, listen, you know, the, the, the data are coming out. And I gave her the standard FDA warnings. And she, and she says, yeah, I think I'll take more shots. And, and I, said, I, said, I said, why? And she goes, well, she goes, I know these things are happening, but you know, these shots don't seem to bother me at all. So, so I think there's a mindset that you know, it's okay for this to happen to other people. It's just uh, not gonna happen to me. Well, what we're seeing now is that there is a stochastic or what we call a Russian roulette yeah. uh, uh, process going on here that you never know when the next shot is going to be the fatal shot. And it has to do with probably different quantities of messenger RNA in each one of these vials. And it has to do with the manufacturing process. They're not inspected. The messenger RNA is not stable. And in an analysis by Sasha Ledipova on Trial Site News, uh, she's reported, she's analyzed the lots in depth that 80% of the deaths with Pfizer occur from 35% of the lots and that 80% of the deaths with Moderna and 20% of the lots. So it shows that it's a manufacturing uh, issue of uh, how much messenger RNA gets in the lot. So the, the lot sizes now are huge, sometimes 900 liters or so, and it's messenger RNA and lipid nanoparticles. There's no way they're getting equal amounts in each vial. Some vials have relatively little and I think that's the reason why people, the 85% are fine, but some are loaded with messenger RNA and they get very sick. And, and, and that's what we're seeing. So uh, there's so much to, to learn. This is a great podcast. I, we've been going about 90 minutes. I think we probably yeah, yeah. should cl close it out now. Um, I, I'm going to have family come over, some of whom have taken four shots and developed COVID. And oh. so I'm so curious to see what the conversation is going to be like. Are they going to take more of them? Uh, well, no, they I might say that it, it could have been worse if yes. they weren't vaccinated. That's what they normally it could, it, Well, yeah, the, the answer is going to be it could have been worse or more likely it's going to be the Heisman. And what yeah. the Heisman is, I don't want to talk about it. Right. Right. Well, right. Dr. McCullough, we're glad you've talked about it. I, we hope you had a, a, a peaceful Thanksgiving with your families. I know I we had one because all of us are on the same page, which is a miracle, literally, yeah. both sides of my, my husband's family and my family, all on the same page. However, we know it's a contentious, a contentious uh, conversation. So here's what we'll say. On our sub, sub stack, on Dr. McCullough's sub stack, go follow the highway. Take the evidence. If people need the evidence, they give it to you and you can, you don't have to argue. You can say, here, here's, here's what they're finding. And, and, and hopefully you can help save a life or save someone's health. And if you can't, because they won't listen, ultimately that's the choice that they've made. And that's the sad part of all of this is that we just are watching people get sick and die needlessly. It feels very needless. And it's, and it's, it's difficult to watch, but Dr. McCullough, we thank you. We are thank cheering you. for you. If we can do anything for you yes, ever, what can we do? Yeah. Well, also, what can our listeners, what can they, is there anything we can do like for, with the abort, you. American Board of Internal Medicine or anything like that? What can we do besides so just- We got to get you back on Twitter. Well, get let's, on Twitter. let's take them one by one. American Board uh, has, you know, they've received letters on my behalf from uh, U.S. Senator Ron Johnson, Texas Senator Bob Hall, 900 doctors have written. I mean, they've, they've had feedback. Um, I, I think your exposure of Weber Shandwick uh, through your social media, uh, I think is very important. Uh, you know, you girls are so active on Instagram and the social media, very effective actually. Um, there's been a recent Twitter vote. Recall that Trump 
was let back on Twitter, I think 52 to 48. You know, the vote for me was 98 to two. Yeah. Uh, it was, there's no vote that was close. So finally, Elon Musk, who I think, honestly, I think he's envious. Uh, he's <laughs> not let me back on. I, I eclipsed him in terms of total viewers and downloads on my Joe Rogan experience. I was the only one to beat Elon Musk and he's had a trouble letting me back on. I tell Elon, listen, Twitter is big enough for both of us. Uh, uh, the patient, the people out there, they want to hear from an interesting doctor. They don't want to hear from a billionaire who has everything handed to them. They want to, they want to see what's going on. My, my tweets were perfect. I was the most popular doctor on Twitter. I want my account restored with all the followers. I don't want to be wiped out and start over. Uh, he, you know, he did hold a general vote that said, should he let everybody on? And the answer is yes. So, yeah. um, that's right. You know, but at 98 to two, come on, I have the most compelling case. Yes, yes. <laughs> I just want to know who the 2% were. That's, what I was thinking <laughs> that's, just, that's so dumb. I'm like, what well, is stupid? <laughs> well, let me say you can follow me on my website, petermccullohmd.com. That'll take you everywhere. I've taken a position as the chief scientific officer of the wellness company. We should probably have another show on yeah. that uh, book, Courage to Face COVID-19. Uh, it's www.couragetofacecovid.com podcast, America Out Loud Talk Radio, McCullough Report, uh, and uh, and then so social media. Let's, let me get back on Twitter. I've done everything I can as a concerned doctor, honestly. I've last three years, I've dropped everything. I thought this was so important. People were not being properly treated, and now the vaccine has not had careful safeguards on safety. This is the biggest public health issue. Um, uh, you girls have come together, I think, with probably one of the most successful podcasts. Forget Joe Rogan. Uh, the Just Think podcast is really the place to go. Uh, everybody's talking about it. And uh, keep up the great work. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. We, we love you, Dr. McCullough. We'll talk. We're going to bring you back on for the wellness thing because we got to have a whole conversation about oh. that too. Yes. Go take care of your patients. Go get back to work. We need you out there. And just thank know you. that we get, you got us behind you and a whole thank lot you. of it. Love you. All right, guys. See you Bye. guys. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.